Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more, each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, so we're here with another episode of Hacking Into Security. So this week, we are joined by Mark Bound. Mark Bound is the CISO for Afterpay. Actually, Mark, being an Australian in the US, are you, do you say CISO or CISO? That's a great question. I don't know. I think I probably interchange between the two. You'll hear that I've managed to lose a lot of my Australian accent, and I guess I've learned, I've lost the ability to remember how to say my job title as well. <laughs> Fair enough. It's, it's interesting. It seems to be more CISO in the US and CISO or even other ways of saying it in, in Australia or elsewhere. So Mark, thank you for joining us. So my, my first question to all guests, I guess pretty basic, but who are you? Yeah. So as you said, I'm, I'm the CISO of Afterpay. I've been at Afterpay for about a year now. Before that, I ran security at Fitbit, the fitness wearables company. I'm a pretty technical CISO. Like I, I enjoy working in environments where that's important. So, you know, both CISO and Afterpay are sort of engineering-led organizations, and they're, they're places where being able to be connected to the technology is still important. I guess other things about me are that uh, I am a father of four, and that is probably as busy as being a CISO. <laughs> yeah, especially working from home. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting time. Fortunately, my wife is a saint. We've worked through it together. Yeah, I think, I think you need that supportive environment. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So if worked in different places, been around the world. I guess first question is, why are you working in security? Yeah, I think it's a happy accident, really. So I, I first learned about security back when I was at university. I went to university at UNSW in Sydney. And we had a system where you had to pay for your internet by the by the megabyte. And living on campus, it was screaming fast. And I, I topped up my internet one day, and the next day it was all gone. And what had happened was that I was running an FTP server on my on my computer in my dorm room and someone had found that amazing uh, fast internet connection and used my FTP server to move a bunch of, uh, of wares through the university basically. So that was an expensive mistake and uh, it sort of got me interested in hacking and, and how people break into things. So I think the first thing I did after that was to start reading bug track, which was sort of the main security message board back in the day. Yeah, that sort of piqued my interest into how things fit together and, and how they work. I think that that's one of the things I loved about security early on was that you know, if you, you go and do a particular piece of software engineering or networking or whatever, and you could learn everything about that one area, but with security, you got the chance to be exposed to potentially anything. Like, you know, if you were doing pen testing, you could show up and see a bunch of technologies you'd never seen before. If you're doing an incident response, you had to get in there and understand how something works from sort of first principles. Uh, and I really liked that piece of it, the, the figuring out potentially anything as part of the job. As I've gotten more senior, though, I think the thing I've really enjoyed is also to do with that breadth of knowledge required. So obviously now it's less about technology, but it's more about organizational knowledge. So you know, potentially having to understand a little bit about how HR's processes work in order to be able to interact with them in a useful way. So understanding what the company finances look like so that I can manage accordingly. That broad knowledge has been interesting to overlay on top of the technical knowledge. I think the last piece as well is that security people are interesting, quirky people for the most part. It's a fun place to be a manager if you're working with, with those folks. So, yeah. Well, if you're managing those, then you're getting to, I guess, mature that and, and cultivate that as well. 
True. Well, I don't know if mature is the word that my team would use. Might, <laughs> might describe you as taking them in the opposite direction. Fair enough. So how did you get your start then? Obviously, you you got interested in security, but I guess going from your experiences at uni to getting that break, how did that happen back then? Yeah, it was, again, a bunch of good luck. So there was a really early stage security startup that, that I went and did some work with. We worked on a security product. It gave me a chance just to to, to learn more about how things hung together. But through a series of, of, sort of lucky adventures, I ended up being working in London for that company and then ultimately working for one of their clients, which was a bank in London. And that was probably the most sort of career-defining moment. I got hired into a team of incredibly technically talented people well above where I was at. I was, I was the imposter in that group. But they, they taught me so much about how, how to think about security and how to sort of use those technical first principles to influence the, the right sort of outcomes so I think a lot of security at that point was sort of checkbox security, where especially in a bank, you had this sort of list of, you had a recipe that you followed. And this team were incredible at sort of understanding the real risks and, and using the technology to solve that. So I think, you know, that, that then turned me into the technical person I, I, I was. And it sort of showed me the importance of taking opportunities to work in teams that, that are going to move you forward a long way, not just, not just picking a job that's going to help you for now, but picking one that's going to help you move forward. And yeah, it sort of progressed from there. I, I flitted in, I've been in sort of consulting and then back in-house and then back in consulting and back in-house. And I think also that's been another really useful part of my career is seeing things from, from both perspectives, from outside and inside perspective. Definitely. Well, there's, again, a lot of diversity. And you'll, you'll see different experiences and di- different, I guess, types of businesses as well. Yeah, it's certainly on the consulting front. Like I think that consulting experience lets you see lots of different businesses and understand how different people are solving problems. The in-house piece helps you understand how hard it is to do that over the long haul. You know, you're not showing up for a week and giving a report and you actually have to think about how to influence the, those outcomes over a, over a longer period of time. And uh, I guess being technical yourself, and you mentioned it early on in the conversation, that's really one of the, I guess, draws of me having this conversation with you is I think traditionally when I look at a lot of CISOs out there, they tend to come from maybe non-technical roles, more sort of business-facing or sort of even GRC side of things. You definitely don't, don't see many former pen testers that are CISOs these days. And that's, that's awesome. And I guess there's a lot of people that I speak with in the community and there are pen testers or pen testing managers and principal consultants that I have these conversations with and, and they want to, I guess, try and get that bit of insight and understand how can they make that bridge or how can they sort of move on to the other side and, and progress from that career perspective? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say there is don't do it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Seriously, like make sure that it's what you want to do. I think there's this sort of default instinct in all of us that you, know, you want the top job. You want to keep moving forward until you're the boss of the thing. But I don't think that's necessarily the path to happiness or fulfillment. So like first things first, do your homework and make sure that it is the role that you, that you want. You know, I think the C in the title is pretty attractive, but it's definitely not a job for everyone. And I think increasingly the thing to realize is that there are great senior security jobs that aren't CISO roles. So, you know, you can be one of the most senior technical people in a company, still be doing a security role and still be very respected and very influential within a, within a company. You know, you're not necessarily, and that may bring you more happiness if you're still on the tools or still more focused on the problems rather than the people. So, yeah, I'd say do your homework and, and think through whether, whether it's the right thing to do. I think a couple of things that might make a CISO role a good fit for someone would be if they really enjoy mentoring junior talent, if they enjoy thinking about the problems on more of like a, a multiple years scale rather than a days or weeks scale, 
if they enjoy the influence side of security, so the tricking people into doing the right thing side of security as opposed to you know, being uh, in the details on uh, specific solutions, if that makes sense. And I also think, you know, if, if they enjoy getting exposure to the non-security side of an organization, that's also a really important thing. You know, a lot of the CISO's day-to-day job is, is not related to security. And so you, you have to be actually interested in the rest of that job, otherwise you'll be, you'll be miserable. So I think, you know, a lot of us get into it because we think, oh, if I'm the boss, I'll win every argument. Because <laughs> um, security people tend to be really bright, ambitious people. So that's a, a, an attractive proposition for them, but it's not necessarily a good reason to, to go down that um, go down that path. Uh, but I think in terms of, you know, to answer your question more specifically, what, what things could they do to help themselves if they do decide they want to go down that, that path? I think some of those consulting roles, as we said a second ago, give you a really good chance to get a lot of cross-section, a lot of exposure to different parts about the problems and a lot of experience seeing different ways that people have solved the problems. I think also getting exposure to different parts of the role. So you mentioned like GRC before, but I think having the opportunity to get some AppSec exposure, some detection response exposure, some stuff on the corporate security you want to make sure you're sort of rounded out from that perspective. You don't have to be an expert in those areas because you're, you're probably going to hire people to do that for you, but you want to have a bit of a, you want to be able to stick, do a stiff test on what you're being told, I guess. And I think, you know, some of those in-house roles are good as well because they give you that understanding of just how much, how grueling some of these projects can be and how to, how to influence things over the longer term. So, you know, thinking about getting some of those roles in, under your belt as well. I think a couple of other quick tips I had, I had written down for myself here Keep in mind that the whole job is about people. So you, you need to, to have a network of people for a few reasons. One is because you're going to have to hire a bunch of people and one of your first challenges is going to be hiring a team if you're as a CISO. So having a strong network will help with that. You're also going to need to compare notes. Like it's a, it can be a really lonely role. And so having people who are doing similar work and having a mentor is a really important part of managing what that looks like. I think the last thing is is in your current role, just find opportunities that can expose you to parts of the CISO role. So maybe ask about the budgeting process from your boss or offer to help to put together a presentation for the board that, that has to happen or pick some junior team members and, and help them and mentor them or, or run projects. Another really important one, because I guess the CISO tends to be the ultimate sort of crisis manager for the company if, if something really bad does happen, is you find some opportunities to do some of the crisis management through some incident handling or something like that so that you can can be pretty confident on that front and uh, i guess looking back at your i mean your track record is very impressive and you've worked at some really interesting companies from Trustwave to Sportsbet to fitbit obviously afterpay at the moment what was the i guess the turning point for you where you went from maybe pen tested to moving up that career path uh yeah so actually it was pretty lucky for me in that i, I went from pen tester into incident responder and that just happened because I happened to be sitting in an office where people were doing forensics and incident response. So I, I sort of, you know, offered a hand during an incident and turned out to be able to help and, you know, help to start to run that process over time. And the next step from there was was to actually get the chance to to manage those two teams. It was interesting because it wasn't just managing a pen test team, it was also that detection response side or incident response side. So I think then I started, got my first exposure to two separate disciplines. And then the next step after that was to because this was both in consulting, the next step then was to run a region. So I looked after APAC for Fresh Spider Labs. And I guess that then helped. It, it, it grew the scope. It was still consulting. I was still focused on pen testing and incident response, but you know, it was for a whole region. So that helped to get some more of the management experience there that helped. 
so it's pretty organic. Like I, I don't feel like, and I certainly didn't seek out any of those opportunities. I've been really lucky that they just just showed up for me fortuitously. <laughs> You mentioned that four or five times about luck. I guess a lot, a lot of the time we make our own luck. Sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. You've clearly been doing some good things to, I guess, for others to put you in those positions as well, though. I guess that's true. I think another thing that we have done, and I say we because, my, uh, again, my amazing wife has obviously been very tolerant of this and enjoyed the experience as well, but we've lived in, in the UK and in Australia and the US. And I think the experience in those different parts of the world has been really valuable and seeing how different types of companies deal with different kinds of problems. And on that note, I guess what differences have you seen, I guess, particularly with your your move to the US four or five years ago as well? The US has been really interesting. We've, again, because I am a fairly technical focused security leader, you know, Silicon Valley is kind of, I feel like it, the general level of technical awareness of people in, in the Bay Area is so high. And so the, the sort of amount of experience and the quality of the work that's getting done is really high as well. And I think the security teams then have to have to learn how to interact with that. And so for me, that's been the, the most amazing part about this journey over here was just seeing how these products get built and how these engineering teams think and then thinking about how we as security people can interact in, in those environments. So yeah, I, I think that's been a really yeah, that's been a really exciting part of the, of the journey here. And it's really required me to challenge some of the sort of traditional thinking around how to get security done. I'm not doing anything groundbreaking, I don't think, but I think you know, if, if you showed up doing security the way we did when we were at the bank in London 15 years ago, that's obviously not going to work over here in, in the Bay Area. Yeah. Well, or maybe most places these days, hopefully. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing you mustn't forget is that everything's changing all the time. So, you know, I know, for example, in Australia, there's an amazing sort of technology scene now and there's a lot of smaller companies growing up and doing great things so i i'm, I'm not putting silicon valley on a pedestal there but there does tend to be more of that happening here than in most places yeah and i guess speaking of that you've, you've joined one of those companies and as far as i'm concerned or where you're the first cso for afterpay yeah they've, they've had a, a great security team for a while they just never had anyone designated as the sort of leader of that team yeah that's what that's what i joined to do time for a quick break I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company, where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send, on average, two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So as someone who's actively involved in hiring, what are the good and bad things you've seen from applicants out there? I think the really good things when applicants are honest and open and transparent and sort of motivated. And they show that motivation through the experience they've managed to get to themselves. So I think, you know, it, be honest on, on, on if you're putting, the, the first thing a hiring person let me see of you is usually a resume. Like don't try and inflate your experience, just be, be who you are. A good CISO is going to know that they need people of multiple levels in their, in their organization. And, you know, you, you're not going to trick them into thinking that you're more than, than, than you are. So be yourself, I would say. I think be brief. Like I see so many like six or 10 page resumes for people who have a few years experience. 
like it doesn't hurt. It, it makes me worry about <laughs> why, like why you thought that was a good strategy. Basically, be brief. Like you, you shouldn't need more than two pages to convey the things that you're passionate about and the things that you that you want to achieve, which is what that document's really about. I think that breadth is really important as well. Like the best. We do need diverse backgrounds. I think you know having someone who has done something in software engineering or has been a network engineer or something like that that that, that is really valuable. I, I feel like good security people tend to be have had experience in stuff that isn't purely security. So try and find a way to show that breadth when you're talking about a role like this. I think the thing that I'm really passionate about is non-technical skills. And so I think good folks find a way to convey to me that they're going to be good on the non-technical front. So it's skills like empathy and, and organization are super important. And if you can find a way to convey that, then that's going to be a really, a really useful thing to do. That's interesting. I guess that'd be a lot easier to do in an interview, I guess, format. Yep. If, if someone's yep. applying for the role through the, you know, the job applications or whatever it is, I guess, would you have any examples or ideas, maybe how someone could demonstrate that to someone like yourself? Yeah, I mean, you could just directly say, like you, you could say, hey, the things I value are empathy and humility and things like that. Like I, I think that's a reasonable thing to call out. I think also <laughs> yeah. some of the projects you've worked on will will also help yeah, illustrate that. Like if I see someone's a, a Cub Scout leader or something, I'm imagining that they're sort of community minded and they're you know they're doing things that aren't purely focused on their work. If I see people have participated in community events, in sort of so university clubs, that's another good sign. So I think there are those things that help show that you're interested in in learning about different things that, that are going to give you interesting angles on things. Okay. And I guess talk, talking about listing things, you've got a pretty impressive list of, I guess, things that you've spoken at, and that goes from sort of larger scale events right down to local meetups. And I saw that you even spoke at Ruxmon last year. So you don't get many CISO speaking at that level of event, which is pretty cool. How do you feel about, I guess, people putting that sort of stuff on a CV or resume? Yeah, I think it's really helpful. I think because you, you do have to do, speaking in an event is, is a fair bit of work. Like there's a lot of prep work. You have to be willing to spend that time. You also have to think about how you're going to communicate about a specific subject. You're going to get feedback. You're going to meet people. Yeah, I think those are good examples. I think as well, like open source contributions are a good way to show diversity and experience and commitment. So I think there are, there are projects that aren't, like don't limit your experience to the jobs you've had. Think about the other things you do as well to help someone understand who you are. Yeah, I, I, I guess the way I try and look at that is what you do in your work time or even your studies, that doesn't really determine what you're interested in. It just means that's what you're working on. But it's the stuff you can demonstrate through your free time. That's where your interests are. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the last thing I wanted to say on that as well, in terms of good and bad, I see a lot of security people out there be bad people sometimes. Like, if you're a good, humble person who wants to work as part of a team, then you're going to be a huge asset to, to someone. Like there's a whole bunch of smartest people in the room in security. And we have to be really careful to do the right thing by the team that you're working in. And so like, it's pretty hard to convey in, in a resume, but you know, I think if, that's, if you're aspiring to be someone who's going to be a great person to work with, then you're more likely to be a better security person is my belief. That makes a lot of sense. And out of interest, because again, I, I see a lot of resumes from my perspective, but now again, being a hiring manager, you'll see them as well. When we speak about those list of like presentations, going to community events or whatever it might be, how often do you actually see people putting that on a resume? 
I think it depends. I think, you, you know, you'll, you'll get some resumes where there'll be 30 events on there and then you'll get plenty where there's none. So it may be that people don't feel comfortable putting it on there until they've done a few. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I guess I don't see it super often. But yeah, it really does depend on seniority, I would say. Okay. It's definitely something I recommend as well, as well as maybe having other things like your GitHub accounts or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think GitHub is a really good one. And I think, yeah, I, even some of the other social media things like Twitter, if, if you if you feel like your Twitter account is more of a professional one and, and you talk about <laughs> yeah. things on there, and then that could be a good thing to, to, to do as well. It helps someone to understand the things you're interested in. Yeah, unless you're trolling people. <laughs> yeah, full-time <laughs> troll, maybe don't do that. <laughs> or maybe don't be a full-time troll, I don't know. And how you feel, I guess, talking about hiring, we see a lot of headlines about the cybersecurity skill shortage. I've got my own opinions, but I guess, how do you feel yourself? It's, there's no doubt that finding really experienced security people is tough. They're in, they're in high demand and they can sort of command high prices and, and pick a job that's interesting to them, which is amazing. And, and you know, we're really a fortunate industry to be in in that regard, that, in that if, if you've really done your homework, you can can pick work that's interesting for you. You're really going to be stuck with that without a role, it feels like. I also feel like maybe when we talk about the cybersecurity security skills gap, perhaps we've been at times of the elitist and ruled out junior people or people from non-security disciplines for, for security roles. Like I've, I, we've talked a bit already that I think teams need a really good diverse set of skills and, and a mixture of junior and senior is really key to that. So I would say as an industry, we could probably do a bit better at hiring people at different stages of their career to help help with with the gap we have. Like maybe we're measuring the gap on, main, on, on more senior people. I also think a lot of the work we're doing and calling security jobs just isn't actually helping. Like we're, we're hiring people to do things that aren't necessarily making security better. Like to give you an example, you know, I see a lot of security process at companies that require someone to approve something. And you'll, you know, if you look back at the data, you'll see more than 95% of things get approved. Like that feels to me like we've just added a process that needs a, a skilled human to do a thing where in most cases that human's probably not actually having to do the thing that they're they're hired for. So maybe there's a better way to design that process so that a human isn't required for those 95% of cases. Like maybe there's some other qualifying thing we can do earlier in the process to to have that be a 5%, not a 95% problem. So you know, I think that's where you really do need those experienced, smart security people with diverse backgrounds to help you understand what the problems are that you really actually need to solve with people and which problems you then try and solve some other way. Makes sense. I guess th- think about things differently and bring some different ideas to the table. Yeah, and and I guess that's actually one of the things that's been amazing about the experience of working in, in the Bay Area is most of the companies here are trying to build something that scales really fast. And to do that, you need to engineer out humans for the most part of the process. That sounds really <laughs> dystopian, but you know, when you're creating something, you're thinking about how am I going to run this in the future? And if that answer is I'm going to throw people at it, then usually you know that's not going to fail once you get to a big scale. And so that's where you would you would think about using other skills or software engineering or, or some other way of solving the problem, I guess. Wow. Yeah, that's a very different mindset. Yeah, pe- people slow things down. Yeah, I mean, people are super valuable. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to devalue that. But yeah, I think, and, and there are parts of security that aren't solvable this way. But I was just trying to find an example where sometimes I see the number of unfilled jobs. I think, that's crazy. What, what do we, what are we going to have all these people do? And, you know, I bet you, I'm gonna, I don't want to pick on a particular role here, but maybe, you know, I've seen a lot of socks, for example, that are really, really ineffective, really inefficient. Like a sock analyst is looking at the same alert and they know that alert's a false positive because it's a false positive 99% of the time. 
And then they've got to go and click into three different systems to research this and that. Like that's a great example where maybe one software engineer up front builds a workflow which does all the, the augmentation and does some of the, the filtering before it gets to the human analyst. So, so maybe we're not talking about a cybersecurity skills shortage here, but we're talking about a cybersecurity sort of maturity gap where if, if, if we understood that problem and, and tried to engineer it out, we'd, we'd end up with a more balanced solution. It makes sense. It seems to be what, the, what the, the smarter or the more forward-thinking companies are doing. Hopefully we fit into that category. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think trying to do it in the first place is, is the right steps. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So going back, obviously, there's a lot of people trying to get into the industry. I guess there's lots of different advice out there, but knowing what you know now, if, if you had someone, I guess, coming to you relatively young age, maybe from university or even without education or formal education university, I guess what would be your advice to maybe get them started or what they should be looking at? We've talked a lot about sort of having diverse sets of experience. And so I would just try and find some, some opportunities to do that, like learn about some things that aren't security, weirdly, in order to, to get that security role. I think I would, I think almost any job right now requires some exposure to software. So like try and do some work in, in sort of software engineering, foundational understanding work, if, if that makes sense. So like, and if you want to make that security specific, then go and work on some of the security tools that are out there or, or like understand the process of creating code, whether, whether you do that by working on an open source project or doing a training course or whatever. I think that's a really important understanding to have underneath pretty much anything else. So I think once you've, once you've learned that, you, you start to think about how you do those process improvements. You start to understand the problems that the people you're working with are solving. I also think try and find a way to, to learn about clear communications. Like give yourself some opportunities to, to, to learn how to communicate. It's really hard, actually. Like, and it's not something that comes naturally to everyone. So that could be finding opportunities to do some public speaking or finding a way to, to represent data about a problem to, to someone and writing about it. Like, it could be a blog or something like that. I think you know, doing those things and getting feedback on them is going to help you with that, that communication skill set. Be lucky like I was and get an opportunity to work with people that are way smarter than you. So I think, I think we tend to take the jobs we really want and sometimes you might need to take a role that is just going to give you amazing experience. You don't want to do it forever. You don't want to make yourself miserable, but you know, maybe that maybe you know, picking up some of those roles that are going to put the smart group of people is important. You know, where the smart people are is probably where you have to do that community work you were talking about, going to the events and getting to know people. Or you know, if, if that's not your thing, spending time in the, in the right forums online to, to read and, and learn about those things because obviously not everyone enjoys sort of face-to-face security events. I think the last one I, I, that I think I feel pretty passionate about is like start to think about how you're going to look after yourself mentally and physically when you do get that security job. Like security jobs are really mentally grueling. We spend our whole day trying to think about the worst thing that's going to happen, and it's sort of a twisted mindset to have to have. And it also like you'll never be done. There's ne- there's not an end to this job. There will always be some scary thing around the corner. So, being able to maintain perspective and have a laugh is really difficult and something you, you have to learn. You have to learn to walk away from some problems sometimes and be okay with the fact that that means that there's a risk. And if you don't do that, like ultimately you'll burn out. We see a lot of security people really stressed out, really burnt out, yeah, and, and hopping from role to role. So yeah, take the time to think about how you're going to manage that and be an active participant in it as opposed to a passenger, I guess. That's a really solid advice. Thanks that, Mark. My pleasure.
Good. Well, for me, that wraps up most of the things I wanted to cover. And I, I think the big aspect was, I think the, the part of the end was great for new entrants, but also particularly those people that, to be honest, are, I guess in your footsteps, maybe some from some years ago in terms of their pen testers now or their technical people, but they want to make their progression. I think it's good advice to, I guess, for people to have a think about if it's really what they want, but then looking at the sort of skill sets they need to build up to get them to help that progression, I guess. Yeah, and hopefully they also heard me when I said don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, just on on that note, sorry, what are the things you're aware of now that you weren't aware of, I guess, before stepping into that sort of position that I guess would be helpful to others to be aware of? Yeah, I think just like the the amount of your time that you spend on non-security things now, for me, that's the part of the job, one of the parts of the job I love. It's good to be able to interact and understand other parts of the business and or what the process or whatever that's going on. But you have to be passionate about that. And and I think if if you assume that your day will be all security, and you could make your day all security, but it probably means you won't be able to successful at the end because you're not going to be able to to organize your part of the organization to work in lockstep with the rest of it. So I think that was probably surprising to me initially, but it turns out to be a thing that's, that's important for all. Fantastic. Look, on that note, Mark, thank you very much for your time and, and sharing your journey with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.